Bonnie B, everybody. Uh, I'm not going to keep talking about her, but she's incredible, and I love her. Kill it, Bonnie. Thanks, Mark. I love you too, man. Good friend. Um, hey, so I'm Bonnie. I'm an alcoholic, and I live in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, and uh, I, you know, I've thought about today and what to share because I've spoken at Tusnua now twice already and told my story from you know basically beginning to where I am and um I didn't think that I really wanted to do that again so um you know I'll just kind of touch on a couple of highlights and then I want to share what it's like today so um you know, as far as highlights go, so um, I was born into a family where my parents never in their entire lives took a sip of alcohol. Um, I don't understand that. I don't know how anybody can do that, but they did. And, um, you know, I came along and was real rebellious and I got into drugs at an early age and alcohol. I was put in rehab at 70 in 1979 at the age of 16. Um, so I was introduced to AA and NA at the time. And so I knew what it was and I actually stayed sober for a few years. And then um, I uh, went back out for 24 years when I was 21. And so that means at the age of 45, I came back into the rooms of AA. And, and when I came in, I knew AA was a solution. It had worked for me before. Um, but at this point, I still had the family. I had the money. I had the cars. I had the job, the career. Um, I just had this problem with alcohol. Um, no longer drugs, but just alcohol. And I remember um, a couple of women telling me that I intimidated them. These were people in AA. And in my career, I always felt, oh, God, that's great. I like to intimidate people. And, um, and when, I, when I heard that in AA, I kind of had some mixed feelings. Um, and, and I didn't really even know what they meant by that. I, I just didn't, um, I didn't show up at AA trying to intimidate anybody. I showed up for help. Um, and, and there were some difficulties in the beginning. Um, part of it was, was me. Part of it was the marriage I was in. Um, he was pouring alcohol and putting it in front of me and, telling me to drink it. And, um, the way the marriage had been, um, I, I, I was a shell of a person around him and I did what he told me to do, even though it, in my career, I was a manager. I was confident of what I was doing with the job. Um, I kept rising through the ranks and yet I, I was living a double life you know, one life, one life at job, at my job and one life in my, in my family, in my home. And, um, 
And the only way that I could cope with that was to drink. I didn't know how else to, I didn't know how else to cope with it. And, um, in the beginning, when I started drinking again, I, I really did a pretty good job of controlling it. Um, not that I wanted to, but I felt like I had to. And, um, as the years progressed and our marriage got worse and I got older, my drinking became even more of a problem, which is why I came into the rooms. And um, anyway, even after, um, I, I digress there for a second, so I apologize. But um, so even after he kept telling me to drink, somewhere in there I was able to stop. And I put together almost three years and I was two weeks shy of three years. There was something horribly demanding with my job. Um, and, and I was already a workaholic. I was very normally for decades working at my desk until one or one thirty in the morning, sleep for maybe two hours and back at my desk at four thirty in the morning. And I did that for decades. And um, and with what was going on with within our company at the time, I wasn't even I wasn't even getting two hours of sleep. And um, you know, it was it was just terrible. And I found myself, I didn't realize this until hindsight, right? I was hitting on every single one of the halts, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I was hitting on every single one of those. I was in a hotel. Um, I used to travel a lot and I was in a hotel. I wanted a soda. It was in the afternoon. And the only place you could get a soda in this hotel was in the bar. And so I went into the bar to get a soda and I came out with beer. And, and it was just that simple. Um, not planned. It just happened. And, um, and, and I had had other relapses like that, not, not walking into a bar like that, but somebody handing me a drink or, um, you know, just kind of nagging me to drink or, you know, different things, you know, different things for relapses and the fuckets, I would get that and, um, you know, and just pick up. And, um, but at this point, when I was hitting on all the halts, I was two weeks shy of three years. And when that happened, I went into a relapse period for a few years and I just could not pull it together. Um, I, I, I burned through sponsors from the time that I had first walked back into the doors to, um, for seven years, I quit counting how many sponsors I had. Um, somewhere in there, I stopped counting and it, I had reached 18 sponsors and I don't actually know how many I had in that, in those seven years. Um, I, I just don't. And every one of them kept telling me that I had to do it their way or I wouldn't get sober or I wouldn't stay sober. And guess what? Every one of them had their own way. So who was doing it right? You know, 
um, all, all these sponsors wanted was somebody to mimic them. They didn't, they didn't want to help me find my path. They didn't believe in another path. And, and, you know, if, if I divulged that I was an atheist, then they would just kind of pat me on the back and say, keep coming, you'll find God, keep coming, go to church, get on your knees, pray in the morning, pray at night. They would, I had one that took me into, literally took me by the hand into a chapel of a Catholic church to do the third step prayer. And she made me kneel in there. And we, I, I had to read it out of the book and we did the third step prayer and she started crying and I just wanted to laugh. And, um, you know, I didn't, you know, I try, I tried to be, um, sympathetic to the way she was feeling, but, um, I didn't feel that. And, um, you know, that was, that's that's just kind of what I was going through for those seven years and and the disease progressed oh my god it progressed uncontrollably during that time and I lost my job I left the marriage I didn't have relationships with my family the money was gone um you know I I I lost everything and I lost myself you know, that was more important than anything, I think, was I lost myself. And I I began drinking quantities of alcohol that I never thought that I would drink. Um, and adding handfuls of pills at the same time because the booze wasn't even doing it anymore by itself. And um I ended up um, I, I was so depressed. All I wanted to do was die. There was a time, there was an incident with a gun. I won't, I won't go into details, but I'll just tell you that much. And um, then I ended up overdosing twice within a matter of two months. And I, I don't know how or why, but there happened to be somebody around that called 911 and then they talked them through what to do when I quit breathing while they were waiting for the ambulance to come to me. And, and of course, you know, I hear all this afterwards and I remember waking up both times and just being so angry that I was alive. And after the second time, I allowed my son who at the time was Oh, I don't know. I think he was maybe 20, 21. And I allowed him to commit me to a mental institution. I didn't fight him on it. And so I was committed to this institution. The first time I had spent two and a half weeks in a psych hospital, I had already been in rehabs and other psych hospitals and, and, um, this last time when I let my son commit me, they also found for me a rehab that treated dual diagnosis. And so dual diagnosis, um, for those of you, if you don't know, it's a mental illness along with an addiction. And that's the help that I needed. 
Um, you know, they had a psychiatrist on board and I was diagnosed already previously with clinical depression, clinical anxiety, PTSD, and dissociation. And, um, you know, and, and I know that's not unlike a lot of people that are on here. Um, it, it's all a matter of how we dealt with it. And my way of dealing with it was I just wanted to die. But I had gone to this dual diagnosis facility. The psychiatrist worked with me on medications to find the right, the right cocktail of medications that I needed to be on. And, um, and I, in this rehab, it was a 12 step based rehab, but we heard stories of people that worked there. And when I say stories of people that worked there, I mean, I mean, having conversations or sit down and listen to the van driver or the dietitian or the nurse or um, your own, my own therapist. Um, every single person that worked at that facility, housekeeping even, was in recovery. And what I heard was a different story from every single one of them. And I was trying to make sense out of that, having come from this background of, of uh, sponsors where you had to mimic. And I finally came to the realization that, you know, what's on those AA coin, coins where it says to thine own self be true. And it was everybody had their own path. And that meant I had my own path. I just didn't know what it was. And then I needed, and I needed to find it. And one of those things was I was going to stop pretending to believe in a God or a higher power because I didn't. And, and I was going to, I was going to stay true to myself as being an atheist. And, um, you know, and, and when I left there and I came home, I was still pretty dark. Um, I still didn't want to live. And I stayed that way for several years. And when I'd go to bed at night, it was just like, oh, please don't let me wake up. And it wasn't that I was saying that to anybody or anything because I didn't believe in anything. It was just an out there. Oh, please don't let me wake up tomorrow. Um, you know, and, and, I, I stayed in therapy and I stayed plugged in with my own psychiatrist and, and um, I was taking the medicines that I was supposed to take and at the right time and the right dosage. And, and, and I was trying to do whatever I could to come out of it. I just didn't know how. And um, I ended up starting um I ended up starting an atheist agnostic meeting. This was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And all of a sudden, these people started showing up that were very much like me in their, in their belief system. And 
it was refreshing to see. I didn't feel like I was the lone wolf anymore. And as I stayed plugged in with my therapist and psychiatrist and kept working, I realized even after starting this meeting where I found my people that I needed to leave Charlotte because there were too many ghosts there that were haunting me. And so I started looking around and thinking about my travels and where I really enjoyed going and the mountains of North Carolina were kind of calling to me. And so I made the decision to move here and I didn't know what I was stepping into. I was, I, I was able to secure um, being able to stay in touch with my therapist and we did it through FaceTime and also did the same thing with my psychiatrist. So I didn't have to start over in that regard. And as I, as I moved, I didn't move well. Um, this is the first time in recovery that I had moved and I, I just didn't move well. Initially I got plugged into AA and I met some people, but they were acquaintances, not friends. And they didn't do AA right. And the color of the coins were different. And some of the readings were different. And um, what I didn't hear was I didn't hear the God stuff like I had, like I had heard in Charlotte. But in the regular Charlotte AA. But for some reason, I just, my depression came back on and I isolated and I isolated for several months. And it was not until, I, I don't know what happened to cause me to do this, but I started trying to push through this darkness that was all around me. And I, I found myself going for walks, taking my dog for walks. And I, I had this habit of looking over my shoulder out of fear that somebody was going to come up and attack me. And I know that come that stems from the marriage I was in. And I finally realized all I had to do was pay attention to my dog because my dog was, was very protective of me. And if something like that was going to happen, he was going to let me know. And so I just started paying attention to him and I found my fears and paranoia starting to calm. And and that helped a lot of the anxiety that was going on that was just at, it had been out of control and the more i walked the more i moved the more i moved a muscle i i found that my uh darkness started lifting and again still staying plugged in with my therapist through all this and and I got plugged back into AA and I started making some friends. They were, they were still maybe a higher level of acquaintances. It, it just takes me a long time to establish a friendship, to develop any kind of trust to do that. But it was growing. That's, that's about the best I can tell you at that point. It was growing. 
And somewhere in there, I decided that where I had moved to was probably a good place for me to settle. And so I figured out how to get a house loan. Um, here I was, and I'm on disability. I'm, I, I'm unable to work. I've been told I can't work. And yet I was able to figure out how to secure a house loan. And so I built a house. And I love it here. I absolutely love it. And I, I have now made some friends, true good friends. And over the last several months, and particularly in the last six months, something has just been telling me I need to be around family. And I, I can't tell you what that is, you know, where it came from, but it just came. And it was this sense inside of me that I was not going to be satisfied unless I, unless I did that. And so I've made the decision and I'm in the process right now. I'm going to be moving to Asheville, North Carolina, which is where my it's it's about two and a half hours south of me. And um, my son and daughter-in-law and twin grandchildren live there. And they want me there. This is my son that committed me to a psych hospital. And they want me there. They told me that they want to see me every single day, that they want to see me so much that I get sick of seeing them. Now, how, how cool is that, right? And, and my daughter is married and her wife is pregnant and due in early October. So I've got a third grandchild on the way. And fortunately, the distance to them from Asheville is the same as where I live now. So I'm not moving any further away, which is good. And, and I've got, I've got some excitement that's in this move. I've also got some anxiety wrapped up in it. And I know that those feelings are normal. They're not unique to me. And it's just a matter of working through it, you know, figuring out, staying more plugged into meetings, staying more plugged into friends. And I listed the house this past Wednesday. Today I had four showings. Prior to that, on Thursday and Friday, I had um, three or four showings. And I've got more showings tomorrow and Monday already scheduled. So I'm hoping that I get something, some kind of an offer soon on this. It's a little bit difficult to, I've got two dogs and it's a little bit difficult with a broken leg and broken wrist to vacuum every, vacuum the dog hair every time that uh, I know that I have a showing and then I have to throw them in the truck and we just go sit in a parking lot somewhere for hours on end while we're waiting for the showings to end. And that's where I spent my morning today from about 8.30 until 12.15 today. And, uh, you know, and, and, but I'm doing the right things, I think, to take care of Bonnie. And, and 
the fact that I have gotten to this point in my recovery, I can't tell you how grateful I am. I, again, I came from such darkness and wanting to die and trying to die and not able to die. And here I am and I'm looking forward to life and enjoyment and I am enjoying it. And I've got, I've, I've got things to look forward to today that I didn't have before. And I could not have any of that if I were not sober. And when, you know, there were a few things in the readings in regular traditional AA that just kind of stuck out to me. They gave me hope. One of those was the third tradition. And that is that um, all you have to have is a desire to stop drinking. It didn't tell me I had to believe in God. It didn't tell me I had to, to actually stop drinking, that all I had to have was the desire. And there was a reading, um, it's in how it works. And there is one line that says, there are those two with grave emotional and mental disorders, but they too can recover as long as they can be honest. And I think I'm kind of paraphrasing that a little bit, but, but it was telling me even with those mental issues that I was dealing with, the mental illnesses that I could, I, I could recover, even though I didn't know how I, I could. And all I had to do was be honest. And that second step really kind of hung me up for a little while um, because I, I was working the steps. Again, I was getting sober in traditional AA. And it was something about um, a higher power and insanity. And the only way that I could work that thing was because I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in a higher power. And the only way that I could work that thing was to look at my insanities. And so I did. I looked at, I looked at, all those insanities. And then I came up with a list of things that could help me, could help me come back to sanity, you know, to shed those insanities. And so I just created a list that I called my resources. And, and those resources, if I relied on them, then they helped me. But if one thing was missing, then I struggled. And it was almost like um, a wheel in a clock. You know, the clock has, um, the, the wheel has these uh, spikes on it. I don't know what you call it, but these spikes on it. And I envisioned every one of those spikes being one of those resources that I had made in that list. And if one of those was missing, then just like a watch, it quits working. And so I really, I really tried to rely on that list and, and to hold true to it. And, and some of those things that were in the list was go to meetings. Um, uh, don't drink, go to therapy, take walks with my dog. Um, you know, just, just different things, right. It was, it was what I needed. 
And, and it's still what I need today, but I've added more things to it. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned the move a muscle thing and I rely on the move a muscle change of thought for so many things. It was told to me one time when I had the desire to stop drink or when, excuse me, when I had the desire to drink, it was told to me, move a muscle, change a thought. And I found that that worked for me also when I got in my head or when I felt overwhelmed with, with things and I, and I couldn't sort things out. And so like today, well, not today with a broken leg, but <laughs> when I'm healthy, I love getting out in the yard and just doing yard work and something about that. I, I can be doing something and it quiets my brain down and one thought will come in and I can kind of focus on that one thought while I'm doing yard work. And somehow I come up with a solution or a next step. And then once I do that, then the next one comes in and I work on it while I'm working in the yard. And it just, it, it just helps to clarify whatever's going on for me and what the next steps need to be. So anyway, with that, I'm going to hand it back over to you, Mark. And I just want to thank Tom for inviting me. And I love this group. Y'all are great people. So thank you.